Hello, everybody. I am excited to dive into Isaiah. Um, Grab a cup of coffee and put your spiritual running shoes on, so to speak. We are covering a lot of ground. Um, And, you know, I just feel like this is the time where we, uh, we have a little more time. So we are going to, your homework last week was to look at Isaiah chapter 1 all the way through chapter 33. So, um, obviously, we're not covering all of that, but um, the book of Isaiah is amazing. Um, So, let's just begin with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, hmm, I just ask right now that you would quiet my spirit um, and um, everyone who's listening right now, Lord, we come uh, into... Um, your presence. And we just ask that you would fill all of us with your Holy Spirit right now um, to to guide us on this journey through your living word. That there would be, I know, an apt word spoken over every single individual that's listening um, to to the the message that you have given um, through your prophet Isaiah. Um, And so I just pray hearts would be encouraged, they would be admonished, they would be emboldened in their faith, Um, they would be uh, set at peace and quieted right now in their minds, that they would, um, the, the, the spirit, their spirit man would come to the front as they're connected in unity with the Holy Spirit of the living God. And, and you would, would just, um, hmm, as we're going to even kind of look at one part, seat them right now. Let them realize that right now that they are seated in Christ Jesus in heavenly places now. So uh, we just give this time to you. We glorify your name, uh, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so. One of the reasons that we know that God wrote and authored the Bible, the Word of God, um, and that he knew what he was talking about is because of prophecy. All the prophecies that that foretold future events. Um, And so right here, we're in the prophets. You know, we looked at Hosea and Amos and Micah last week. We really planted ourselves in Hosea. And today, we're looking at Isaiah. Um, So uh, that word of prophecy, though, God foretelling future events that will come to pass. And I love this because God challenges the false gods in Isaiah chapter 41 to bring forth their strong reasons by telling us something before it happens so that, hey, then we'll know that you're actually a God. If you can come and predict a future event and it comes to pass, he goes, hey, I want you to bring your strong reasons. And, and, and he's really calling their bluff there uh, because there is only one. God said, I will tell you things before they happen. Jesus told his disciples, I tell you these things before they come to pass so that you might believe so that you might believe. It gives you a base for your faith. It actually is a reason to believe that God is the one true living God, that he knows the past, that he knows the present, and he knows the future. He says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, grab your Bible, grab a pen. We're going to be going through lots of scripture. He says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, come, let us reason together. 
He wants us to reason with him. He goes, I'm going to start telling you things in advance so that when they come to place, you're going to believe that I am God. You're going to trust me. And then after he asked that, that we would come and reason with the living God, he extends the most incredible offer to these rebellious children. He offers this to those who are literally, quote, covered in bruises, whose hands are covered with blood. That's what the scriptures in Isaiah are talking about. The children of God have turned their back away from him. And he says, come, let us reason together. And he extends this incredible offer to this rebellious group of people. And he says, though your sins be as scarlet, though your sins be as scarlet. Now the background for uh, scarlet actually means double dyed. It would be that they would take a fabric and they would dye it. They would put it in that dye and let it soak into the fibers. Then they would take that garment and they would let it dry. They would put it back into the dye after it had dried and it would be double dyed. Um, and here, this is what the Lord is saying. Though your sins may be as scarlet, dried and soaked again till the dye has literally permeated the very fibers of the fabric and it's seemingly impossible to remove. Though your sin is double dyed, sin that is so permeated that it's even in the fiber of your being. Though they may be as scarlet, they may be made white as snow. Though they be as red as crimson, he says, that they shall be as wool, which was another picture of them turning white. Um, uh, this, is, this is God's offer to sinning man. He extends grace to them when he literally says, you're covered in bruises and your hands are covered in blood. The whole point is you and I can't do this on our own. The children of Israel could not do it on their own. It's always been about grace and God's goodness. It's always been about him. We're not going to be able to remove our sins uh, by offering religious observances, by doing religious service. You can only do it by receiving the grace of God. And the Lord is saying this to you and to me today. Come, let us reason together. Let us reason together, though you are covered in sin. Though you may find yourself in a completely hopeless state, I will wash you. This is the heart of God. He says, I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to make you new. I'm going to give you life where there is only death, if you are willing the Lord always gives a choice. If you follow me, you know that I always say the reason that we had a choice, even at the very beginning of the tree in the garden, is because love always has a choice. God is willing that you would choose him, but he will not force this on you. He won't force it on any man. He has given us that free choice, and he says, if you're willing... He says, if you'll reason with me, I will take your sins, though they may be a scarlet double dyed, and I'll wash you and I'll cleanse you and I'll heal you and I'll give you new life. And, and he goes, but you, you know what? You have to be willing. And then you, you have to be following that with obedience. Isaiah 1, 19 through 20 says, then if you do that, you shall eat the good of the land. He's, he's reasoning with them. He's reasoning with us. He says, but if you refuse and rebel, you shall be uh, devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. So if Israel accepted 
the invitation of this grace <laughs> from the Lord, if they would come and they would reason what he's offering them and turn from their sins and turn towards him and ask to be washed and cleansed, they would eat instead of being eaten. They would actually live in peace instead of being persecuted. Judah at this time, you guys, was experiencing time of unparalleled prosperity in the land. This is, though, when apathy creeps in. When things are good, when things are going well, we looked at that in Hosea. Uh, you know, it's when you're living in that abundance that you start to think that these blessings have come to you by your own hands, by your own doing. And apathy creeps in. And the tendency can be to be as dumb as an ox and as stubborn as a mule. Isaiah 1-2 says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. And then in verse 3, the ox knows his owner, and the ass his master's crib. So he's saying, even the animals know that this is my master, and this is where my food and my water come from, that, that this is where my shelter is, this is where I belong, this is my house, this is where I'm taken care of and provided, and it comes at the hand of my master. He says, but Israel does not know. And my people do not consider. They have become worse than animals. God says his own kids have rebelled against him. And he likens himself. He says, I'm a father to Judah. He's a father to you. He's a father to me. And he says, my own kids don't consider me. They don't even think of me. God has provided for them. And God is saying, they don't know me. Isaiah 1, 4 through 10. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord and they're backslidden. This is the state that they're in. They've gone backward. Uh, they're, they're turned away from the Lord. They're seeking after the pleasures of this earth and what it has to offer. No longer going forward towards God. Then, quote, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are all gone away backwards. Why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more? He's basically saying, why are you making it hard on yourself? He's pleading as a dad with his kid who's going into sin and hurting themselves. He goes, you have a choice. You have a choice. Turn back to God. You know, woe unto those who strive against their maker. When you strive against God, the one who created you and loves you and has given you everything, the very air that you breathe, the sun that rises, the, the oceans have its boundaries, all because of his goodness towards you. Your heart beats because he wills it too. He thought of you before time began. You are here because of him. And, and here we see when you strive against God, you make it hard for yourself. You literally hurt yourself. Listen to these descriptive words. He says, you're covered in bruises, verse 5. For the whole head is sick and the heart is faint. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. Uh, you know, and I, I, I underlined in that part where it says the top of your head, there's no soundness. 
that, that is like every voice that I'm hearing right now, all the information that we're getting in this time of coronavirus, there's no soundness that is coming out of their head. It's like there's confusion and darkness and derision. When we start to think that we know how to operate apart from God, apart from his wisdom, apart from his ways and submitting to him, there is no soundness in it. There's only wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. Verse 7, the land is going to be made desolate. So God is first dealing with the people and their sin, but now he says there's effects because of your sin and not going my way that now the land actually has to be dealt with. He goes on into the religious aspects of their lives. Um, and outward religion, we need to know and understand this, especially in this day. The, nothing is hidden from the eyes of the Lord. He goes straight into the heart of every man and every woman and every child, and he knows what's inside. He knows if we're only giving outward lip service or we have the fear of man and it's for the appearance of looking like we're righteous and we're good and we're holy. He knows what's inside of us. He says, outward religion has absolutely no value to me. If you are just going through the motions, listen to me. God is interested in your heart. God says, I'm sick of your religious activities. I won't even hear your prayers. It says that in Isaiah, verse 16 through 17. Here's a father who's offering reasoning together. He goes, I, I'm going to tell you things that happen, uh, that are going to happen before they do. And, and I'm doing this because I want you to trust me, because I want to bless you, because I want to be in relationship with you. He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil doing from before my eyes cease from doing evil and learn to do well. Seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless and plead for the widows. See, right now at this time, bribery was rampant, judgment was perverted. All of the lists that the woes and indictments that Hosea and Micah and Amos and Isaiah have against the people sound exactly like the indictments that the Lord God Almighty could have against America right now, even in the church. And judgment starts in the house of the Lord first. So he gives us these warnings so that we might wake up and be washed and cleansed. God cares about honest judgment. He cares about relieving the oppressed people, the fatherless, the orphans, the widows, those who are less fortunate. He says, I want you to take care of them. And we know what the people chose. He says, come, let us reason together. But then Isaiah 121, this is their response. How is the faithful city become a harlot? He's speaking spiritually. We saw that in Hosea as he married Gomer. And it was a picture as she prostituted herself out and broke the covenant marriage, that protection and that love and that relationship that, that Israel, Judah, was supposed to have with their father, their God. And it was a picture of when you leave that relationship, you break that covenant, you're prostituting yourself out spiritually speaking. 
and the city that God had chosen to literally write his name on. Out of all cities of the earth, he placed his name on them to place a, a place of worship where they were supposed to be a light to all nations to say, this is what God's like. This is the path to blessing. This leads to death, but this leads to life. These are his ways. This is his teaching, his Torah, his laws that lead you into abundance and life and relationship with your creator and your God. But instead, they make it a place where you came and you learned about Baal, where you came and you learned how to worship mammon, literally money, where you came and you worshiped Molech in the place where God said, this is where my name is and this is where the people will learn about me. The Assyrians will come. The prophets are sounding the alarm over and over again. And the people shut their eyes. They close their ears. They are deaf. They are blind. And they are dumb. They do not hear the words of the Lord that he spoke again and again through his prophets. The Assyrians will come. And Babylon will come. And just as Isaiah, the prophet of God, foretells, they go into utter exile. It comes to pass just as he prophesied. But what's so amazing about Isaiah and all these different prophets that we're going to be reading through, Isaiah also prophesies about things that are still going to pass, things that have not come to pass in your day and in mine as we stand here right now in 2020. Isaiah, he's, he's from judgment and from exile, from darkness, he'll turn and all of a sudden we're into blinding light, we're into hope, we're into ancient scriptures and prophecies and promises that our faithful God speaks and then we soar into the future and we see fulfillment. Listen to this, Isaiah 2, 2 says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, so now we're zooming into the future for you and I, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall flow into it. So this is your future. You want to pay attention. We're zooming into it. When Jesus Christ, the Messiah, comes and he establishes his kingdom on the earth there in Jerusalem. Then in verse 3, it says, And many people shall go and say, Come, let us go into the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he shall teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. So we're going to continue to learn of God. We're going to continue. We never get to the end of learning of his ways. And we're going to go, it says, learn his ways, walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now the Bible tells us in other passages that the kings of the earth will come to Jerusalem and offer their gifts to the king of kings and lord of lords, to Jesus himself who's seated there on the throne, that there's different feast days that we still are required to come and participate there in Jerusalem. And the question is, who are these kings? Who are these kings? Revelation, Jesus said, unto him who loved us, gave himself for us, and has made us unto our God kings and priests. And I will say queens and priestesses. And we shall reign with him on the earth. To the church he said, 
He that overcomes, the one who holds on to their testimony, doesn't love their life even unto the end, who holds to the testimony of Jesus Christ, you need to know that you want to be that person, that you are going to choose to be that remnant. He says, if you overcome those hard times when deception and apostasy comes through the church, even the very elect, he says, if I didn't shorten those days, they would fall away and be deceived. He goes, if you overcome, this is what you're going to be granted. Will I grant that he shall sit with me on the throne of my father's kingdom and they shall rule over the earth with a rod of iron? That's your future. You need to know what you are destined for. It speaks of purpose. It speaks of identity. It speaks of the future and where you are headed. Revelation 5 says, as the lamb, listen, he, he takes the scroll, the lamb takes the scroll out of the right hand of him who is sitting upon the throne. And then you have the prayers of the saints that are offered before the throne of God. And it's the golden vials, those walls, they, they, the prayers of the state, saints start going up and they sing a new song. And the new song that they sing says, worthy is the lamb to take the scroll and loose the seals for he was slain and he has redeemed us by his blood out of all the nations, tribes, tongues, and people, and hath made us unto our God, kings, and priests. And we shall reign with him upon the earth. Hallelujah. This is truth. This is good news. This is what you need to wash your mind with, what you need to dwell on, what you need to think on. This is your reality. This is true for those who remain and overcome and stay true to Jesus and the testimony of Jesus and the revelation of Jesus. You and I right now are being trained. We are not hunkering and bunkering down, waiting for the rapture to happen. We are already, as the scriptures say, seated in Christ in heavenly places. We are, are living in two places at one time. We have to start to understand these things, that we are in a dry run right now. For the things that have been prophesied, for those last days, we, the Lord is even at the door. He is ready to come again. And there are going to be many things that are going to be shaking and trembling, just as we are experiencing right now. And so the Lord is going, I'm training you. I'm teaching you. I'm refining you. I'm showing you what my voice sounds like. I'm reminding you of what your true destiny and your purpose is. And all of this is because there is a future. We will not be in heaven playing harps and like little fat cherub baby angels flying around and everyone's only wearing white. And people say that looks really boring. You have no idea what the word of God actually says if that is what you think. It is wrong. You're going to be ruling and reigning as a king and a priest with the Lord. He goes, I need you to be prepared now. Now listen, this is a good question. If you are hearing and this is quickening in your spirit, what is he looking for in my life and in yours? What does the Lord want to come out of this period and out of this time? Okay, listen to Isaiah 5 verses 1 through 7 if you're following along. The Lord gives a parable of a vineyard and Judah 
Israel. They're likened to this vineyard. Remember, the Lord speaks to us in metaphors and in pictures. It's how we learn. He knows how we learn. He wrote the manual. So you need to picture that vineyard right now, that, that Israel, Judah is likened to that vineyard, okay? So he says, now will I sing to my well-beloved, a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it in and gathered out all the stones. And if you've ever been to Israel, you know that there's a lot of stones. And he planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the midst of it. And he made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes. But it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, between me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? So literally God is saying, what more could I have done for my people? What more could I do for them? I brought them out. I brought them into the land. I established them. I made covenant with them. I built their cities. They planted in it. I blessed them. I was their God. And he says the same thing to you and me. God was looking for fruit from his vineyard. After all of the things that he had done for them, that, that they were now uh, living in the abundance of that, God was looking for fruit from his vineyard. Now, Jesus in the New Testament says in John 15, 1 through 2, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman, and every branch in me that bringeth forth fruit, he purges and cleanses it, that it might bring forth more fruit. John 15, 3, you are clean through the word I have spoken unto you. So the Lord is literally, even right now, you're getting a thorough washing in the word of God. It's cleansing your mind. It's quickening your spirit. You're being renewed in your thought process. It, it even affects your physical body. So spirit, soul, and body, you're being washed by the word. And faith comes by hearing the word of God. So the washing of the word, it cleanses you even now in order to bring fruit from your life. This is why it's not your golden ticket just to make it into heaven uh, and not go to hell, which many Christians believe. Um, you are to participate with God in this season, in this time, and it's to bring forth fruit in your life. Israel's life, your life. John 15, 8. And herein is the Father glorified. Your whole purpose is to worship Him, to live in harmony with Him, to have nothing that's hindering your relationship with Him. And the way that you do that, the way you glorify your Father, He says, is that you bear much fruit. So what does God desire from your life? He desires fruit. As He's looking through His garden, He's looking for that fruit in your life and mine. And Jesus makes this application for the church. He says of the new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another. That you love one another. Galatians 5.22 says, Now the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love. God is looking for. And He is inspecting your life and my life right now. And He's looking. He's looking for love to be born out of your life. Because out of love comes righteous judgment. 
not oppressing the poor, but actually taking care of the widow, uh, taking care of the orphan. If we love one another as we love ourselves, then we're going to be lifting one another up. And we're going to be looking and invested in the lives of those around us. Listen, you're not going to be self-focused and self-centered any longer. It's a complete and radical renewal and transformation. It's, it's a whole new creation that you are to be in Christ Jesus, bearing the fruits that look like Jesus, because now you live and move and have your being in and through him and his life. So your life should be bearing the fruit that Jesus' life bore. And the fruit is love. God is love. What a message for today. As I walk past people on the street, you know, I'm taking my walk and getting my vitamin D and people look at you just as though you are a disease carrier and they are terrified and they don't know if you're judging them and maybe they're shaming you and you're... and. I, my daughter who's walking with me noticed how um, aggressively loving I'm being where I look people in the eye and I make sure that I tell everyone that I pass on these walks, hello, how are you? And I smile at them. People are isolated. They're alone. They are terrified. They don't know the Lord. They don't know that they've been called to be a king and a priest under the blood of the Lamb and rule and reign with Christ Jesus who's coming with his kingdom to bring righteousness and justice and healing and restore all things that are broken. And you are supposed to be the conduit and the messenger that brings and bears love, that we bring humanity back as they're trying to strip and take it away from us in this time and this season. And the enemy is working overtime through the agent and the spirit of fear. This is something that you and I are supposed to do. Care about those around you. Now listen, the only way that you can bear this love is to have a fresh vision of God. You must have this vision of God like Isaiah did. Isaiah chapter six, verse one. In the year the King Uzziah died. So let me tell you about King Uzziah. He was known worldwide to be a man who brought peace. He brought prosperity. And here he has died. And Isaiah is talking about it. He says, in the year that this king, <laughs> that, that he's brokenhearted, um, he's died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord seated upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. In your life, God wants you to fix your eyes on Jesus right now. We are being distracted. Uh, the headlines of the news uh, and, and uh, you know, coronavirus, I mean, uh, unemployment rates that literally are almost matching the Great Depression, uh, talks of, you know, world famine. And for us, you know, it's like, our meat might be gone. I mean, all sorts of things, you know, vaccinations and, you know, um, are they good? Are they not good? And, and chips, um, uh, you know, and Bill Gates and all the talk that's going on. And, and the Lord says, you, you need, you need to see this vision. In your life, God wants you to fix your eyes on him. And you say, the throne is empty. Coronavirus is here and all its calamities are following. The country is rioting. Families are even split apart over what we should do. Who is going to fix this? But, you know, this, this throne is empty. And the Lord says, and receive the vision of Isaiah right now. Quiet your heart and receive this. Receive the vision of the Lord. 
the throne is not empty. God removed Isaiah's idols in his heart. He, he realizes God is on the throne. And Christian, be aware. Listen, you and I are to be aware of what is going on on the earth right here and right now. I, I also get, you know, I, frustrated with uh, believers that, that just, you know, tune everything out and they're not paying attention to anything because it's too scary. The Lord goes, you should not be afraid. Do you remember you're seated with me in Christ Jesus in heavenly places? You know the end from the beginning. So you're not supposed to hide from what the world is dealing with right now. You should be aware of what is going on. You should be engaged. You should be informed because you are called to be light and you are called to be salt on the earth. But you must have this vision as your anchor or you will wax over with fear for all the things upon the earth that are coming in this season. You're not going to be able to make it unless you have the long game, the long view, the vision of the Lord coming back, of who you are in Jesus Christ, of what he has already done, your identity, your destiny, and see the Lord seated on the throne and his train filling the temple. You've got to be able to live in this present, but also look past beyond the immediate turmoil that you are facing and that I am facing right now. Now, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, he's shown the near impending doom and judgment of Israel. So I love how the Lord shows him first as this king dies that he loves, he sees the Lord seated on the throne and that it's not vacant. Then you, you watch as the Lord brings Isaiah and he brings you and I too because we have all the prophecies. He goes, look, I'm going to let you know, Isaiah, impending Judgment and doom are coming, and I'm going to show it to you. But because you know that I'm seated on the throne, and you know who I am, and you know what I'm doing, you're not going to fear. I'm going to be able to show you all these things. He goes, so Judah is going to be judged. Israel is going to be judged. And even the nations that God uses to bring the judgment on those two places, God's going to turn around and judge those nations also after he uses them to judge his own kids. But then... There's this beautiful flash of inspiration and the prophetic. As soon as the Lord shows him this, and he's doing that with you and me, he goes, and he brings him into the future. Listen, this, is, this, this part is 700 years in the future for Isaiah. Quote, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and the increase of his government and people. There shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment, with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord will perform it. And a government shall be upon his shoulders. This is speaking about Yeshua. This is speaking about Messiah. This is Jesus. And then there's a part of the prophecy that now is fast approaching. It hasn't been fulfilled yet for you and me living here presently. But for Isaiah, all of this was future. Jesus wouldn't be born for 700 years, but yet he sees into that future because the Lord shows him a son is given. And that son was Jesus of Nazareth. 
He died for us, a ransom for many, but you and I are waiting for the governments of the world to literally be upon Jesus' shoulders. That's still yet to come. Before the second coming of Jesus Christ, Isaiah 10 goes into the last days where the people are deceived. The Antichrist is on the scene. He comes into power. He makes a covenant with the nation Israel. He actually helps them to rebuild their temple. The sacrifices are reinstituted on the Temple Mount. And then the Antichrist, after he goes into about three and a half years of that peaceful process and that covenant, he breaks it with Israel. He turns on them and he proclaims to be Messiah himself. There is a remnant, though, that escapes. We looked at this last week in Hosea. Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation, so there you have the Antichrist. He claims to be God. He stops the sacrifices that are going on. It says, standing in the holy place. As the prophet Daniel spoke, he says, flee to the wilderness. So the remnant flees to Jerusalem, no longer trusting the Antichrist, but they actually turn towards the Lord. They start to remember who he is and their covenant that he's made with them and who he, who he actually is according to his scripture. And, and they, they turn that remnant of Jacob unto the mighty God. A revival takes place in, in Israel, in Judah. And remember last week, they don't call him Baal, you know, which is uh, the, the world's name, you know, for, for master and Lord, the heathen's name, but they call him Ishi, which is husband. We looked at that last week. For thou thy people, Israel, be as the sand of the sea, yet only a remnant of them shall return, and the consumption decree shall overflow with righteousness. God is going to bring judgment. You are seeing so much corruption right now. It's breaking forth everywhere we look. It's in the front page. We're watching the corruption take place, and then we're watching things be broken out. I mean, things that are the depravity of man apart from God are, it's, um, I can't even, I have no words the horrible things that we do to one another, against one another. And God's going to bring judgment to the world. And he, he has a, a remnant that at this time, they make it through this tribulation period. And it's seen in Isaiah 10, 24 through 27, the yoke that the Antichrist puts upon them and all will be destroyed. Then approaches the battle of Armageddon. This is in Isaiah. Isaiah 10, 28 through 34, you've got Megiddo, the prediction of the gatherings of all the nations for that battle to war against God. So, so now what? All the nations come to, to literally make war against God. And God, in his righteous judgment, he goes and he, he starts describing it when you're reading through Isaiah 10. And he wipes out and he cuts down the nations like the trees of Lebanon. He gives you that picture again to show you what he's going to do. And it's like a forest and he chops them down. And it says there's only stumps left. And you're like, well, now what? Now what, God? Isaiah 11, 1. There shall come forth a stem or a rod, a branch out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his root. So the nations, here you see them pictured like the trees of Lebanon in the forest, and they're all cut down like stumps. But then out of one, out of Jesse, there's going to be new life, a new branch. There's a prophecy about Jesus, Yeshua, and his kingdom age. 
So the nations have been leveled after the battle of Armageddon. But out of that, picture new life. Picture that branch. Yeshua, Messiah, the Messiah will come out of the house of Jesse, the father of King David. And then Isaiah 2 through 4, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness, which is what we are longing for. Righteousness, he shall judge the poor. Reprove with equity for the meek of the earth and shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. This is fascinating. We're almost to the end here. In Revelation, you read in the reference to the the Holy Spirit, one Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, around the throne of God. And it speaks in Revelation of just what was described in Isaiah, the seven spirits which are before the throne of God. So one Holy Spirit, but it describes the sevenfold working of the Holy Spirit, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is seen in Isaiah 11, working through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is coming to judge the earth and the Antichrist will be destroyed. And the sharp sword that goes forth out of his mouth, the word of God. So the Antichrist, that man of sin, the son of perdition, who has done signs. He's done wonders. So much power and peace that at the beginning that he brings that the world goes clamoring after him and thinks that he is the Messiah. And then you have Revelation 13, 4 that says, who is able to make war with the beast? Who can actually come against this beast that literally is doing all of these signs and wonders and and bringing the earth together in this way and now bringing war to us? It says he moves to conquer Africa and Egypt and Libya and Ethiopia and China is invading the east. This is in Isaiah. So he comes and they all meet in the valley of Megiddo. And there is a war in the plains of of Jezreel. And remember, we talked about Jezreel, that same valley where the Lord Jesus Christ makes a door of hope in the valley of of Achan right there and actually brings them through. And the end of the story is Jesus comes back. We have to be reminded of the truth of who we are in this moment over and over and over again. We need to be washed daily over and over again with his word that cleanses us and purifies us. We need to understand that you are a king and a priest and that you're going to rule and reign with him. You need to know where this whole thing is going. You need to be invested, yes, in the things that are taking place around you right here and right now, but you know that the world because the Lord told us the the world is going towards a one world government. They're going towards a one, one world currency. They're going towards a one world religion where it's only tolerance and it's kind of one universal God. And we are in a dry run right now. We are one step closer to that taking place than we ever have been on the face of the planet in all time in history. But we should not be surprised or be overtaken by these things because he has told us the end from the beginning. You're being told it right now. You know what's going on. Let us reason together. You know the hope that lies in you. And then here's the other part. Right now, so what must we do? Look for fruit in your life. 
And the way that we do that is we inspect and we see, am I loving? Am I self-centered and focused on my preservation? Am I worried about myself and only focused this way? And, and if that's true in your life, you need to get that vision that Isaiah got of the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filling the temple. Because love is to be born out of your life right now. You are to be bearing fruit. You're in training right now. This is a training season for us. As our word at Maranatha is prepared, we're being prepared for what God has for his kids. This is not time to be apathetic or, you know, only doing, you know, your hobbies and just learning the piano. Although, yes, do that. Uh, it, this is a time to be reaching out towards those who don't have the same hope that you have and let them know um, more than ever before. And you have to fight against the spirit of the age, anti-Christ. It's against Christ. It's against love. It's against us treating each other with dignity and seeing past the fear and the spirit that's on them and calling them out to who they really are. This is the most exciting time and you and I have been privileged to be called to walk the planet on at this time, out of all history, for such a time as this. And so we need to know this. We need to be reminded. We need to encourage one another and stir up our most holy faith with each other. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just thank you and I praise you for Isaiah. I praise you and I thank you, Lord God, for your goodness. I thank you and I praise you, Lord God, that you are a God of grace, that you ask us who are covered in bruises and, and you know, with blood on our hands, you say, let us reason together, though your sins may be as scarlet, double dyed. He wants to make them white as snow and remove them and heal us and cleanse us and renew us and bring us back into original design and plan and purpose and dignity and where we reflect the one who made us, our Father in heaven, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. And you're coming back soon. And so many people are asleep. They are hard of hearing. They don't see. They are apathetic. They are not in the word of God. They have not been shaken yet, even though we're seeing so much shaking. And so, Lord, the remnant right now, we, we want to be that remnant, Lord God. So we just ask, um, just like we saw that sevenfold manifestation of the Holy Spirit, would you tutor us now, train us, prepare us, teach us, Lord God, um, that, that we might have a, a spirit of wisdom, be trained under the spirit of wisdom, the fear of the Lord, of counsel, of might, all the different manifestations. Lord, we need you that we would not be living only out of the natural and responding out of the natural, but Lord God, that we would be alive in you. We would understand the times that we live in so that we might actually participate with you and what you have for us to do before we see you face to face. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. God bless you guys, and I look forward to seeing you next week.